call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. I will call upon the Lord. Good morning. It is a great day to be together. Worship our Lord and our Savior. Uh, you are indeed welcome. A couple of reminders before we begin. If you would, please take a moment to silence your cell phones. Um, if you have not yet, uh, pick up the communion emblems in the back, outside the back door, and contribution boxes are in the back. Uh, put your contributions in. If you're visiting with us, you are very welcome. We ask that you fill out a white visitor's card in the pew in front of you. Um, you can either drop that in a box or give it to somebody. I would like to have a record of you being here. We have a nursery uh, uh, over here that you are more than welcome to use. Go out either one of these doors, and it's behind in windows. Easy to find. It is uh, manned. There's somebody in there, so uh, you can come back to services. And uh, children's church today is, uh, we will not have children's church today. Our format for services this morning will be a little bit different than normal. Uh, today's service will focus uh, on the Lord's Supper. Uh, Chris will be speaking on multiple occasions. <laughs> Uh, we will have some songs dedicated to the Lord's Supper and why we do what we do. Um, so that everything will be a little bit different than normal. If you would, please pray with me as we begin. Father, we are so thankful for your dedication to us, for your presence, for always uh, being around when you need us or when we need you for just always being there for us, for giving us all that you have, uh, for continually watching over our life. We're thankful, Father, for the plan that you have for, uh, for the church, for each of us, Father, for our place in the church, and the plan that you have, Father, for redeeming us to you when this life is over. We're thankful for your son, for what he means to us, for what he's done for us. And we pray, Father, your blessings upon our service this morning as we concentrate on his sacrifice and his love uh, that he had for us. Uh, continue to watch over the many that we're concerned about, the many that are sick, many who are struggling. Uh, we all deal with so much, Father, and we need your guiding and helping healing hand each day. Uh, bless our service, Father. Bless us this day. We're thankful for all that we have and all that we are. Once again, we're thankful for your son. We pray in his name. Would you stand for the first song, please? Our first song this morning is number 226, How Great Thou Art, 226.
Our next song is number 874. 874, Jesus is Lord. After this, Joe Galway will have our reading and prayer. Jesus is Scripture reading this morning is coming from Psalms 139, if you'd like to follow along. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Bow with me in prayer. Kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we come humbly thanking you today for this opportunity to gather here and to worship you, to worship your, your son, to give him the glory that praise that he deserves. Father, we 
ask that you help us in these endeavors. May our worship be from the heart and in truth. Father, we ask that you would be with our elders as they lead the church here. Give them wisdom and give them strength to do the job that they need to do. Father, be with our ministers. Help them to do their job that your word would be prominent in this community. Father, thank you for the country that we live in. We pray for its guidance. We pray that they would always look to you for how we need to live. Father, we pray for those that are in the military that are serving overseas and keep them safe and bring them back safely to their family. Father, we pray for those on our hearts that are sick, that are in need of prayer. Father, we pray for Vicki Bowen, Sandy Galloway, Janie and Glenn Judge, Charlie and Alice Boso, and Peg and Roger Pryor. Father, we pray for Babe Jones that you be with her and her family. For Trey Davis. Father, for those that are fighting cancer, Jim Haney, Jennifer Baker, Cody McDavis and Dottie Diamond, Donya Henning, Dennis Haney, Jim Schaefer, Ari Sorbel, and Diana Falls. Father, thank you so much for the good results of Sandy surgery. Thank you, Father, for our leaders here. Bless them. Help us always to serve them and, and do the jobs that they have us to do. Father, for your son, we humbly give you thanks. We appreciate so much the ability to call you Father and realize that he's made that possible for us to do. In his precious name we pray. Amen. If you would, let's stand for our next song, number 820. As a reminder, there will be no children's Bible hour today. After this, we'll have our first lesson from Chris. My precious Savior,
Good morning. We're gathered here today to celebrate, to commemorate the Lord's resurrection and to take of uh, His Supper. I think there are a couple things we need to think about as we look at the Lord's Supper. We need to have at least three looks at it. Um, you ever looked at something and then kind of did a double take? That's, I feel like that's something we need to do with the Lord's Supper. But then we're going to look at it three times in three different ways. This first uh, little section, we're going to look at a look inward. So turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And our next uh, set of, uh, the next set of lessons, uh, we'll talk about uh, a look backward and a look forward. But right now, let's, let's look inward. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. This is... Uh, passage where Paul is dealing with the Corinthian congregation. They have been doing the Lord's Supper incorrectly. And so he uh, sets straight uh, the record on how we should take the Lord's Supper. Look in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No. I will not, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, The cup, this cup, is the, cov is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. So eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. You get from Paul's words there that this is a serious, solemn occasion that we've gathered together for today. This is an opportunity for us to look down deep inside of us and to look at our motivations for coming together and to look at the opportunity we've been given today to remember His sacrifice, but also to look forward. But we also, before we do those things, we have to look inward. 
And so we need to look at 1 Corinthians 11 and, and realize that these folks were using the Lord's Supper as a status symbol. Um, the poor among them couldn't get to worship in time seems to be the general consensus that scholars have here. And so by the time the poor among them were able to get off work and come to the Corinthian congregation for worship, the rich among them had already eaten all of the Lord's Supper and they'd already drank all of the wine. And so they were using it to say, you're poor, so you're less than I am. Notice again in verses uh, 20 through 23. He says, When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? There's, there's a humiliation aspect in that. If you go back and you look at the word humiliate in the original language, they're shaming these people. They're dishonoring them. Um, by by eating uh, all of the Lord all of the Lord's supper and drinking all the wine, the the folks who don't get any are are shamed. The Holy Spirit then outlines why this is such a solemn occasion. He reminds us that it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed. That word rings in our heads and in our hearts, doesn't it? We see Judas running to the chief priests and taking the bribe to give Jesus over to to them for his murder, don't we? We, we feel the agony uh, that's his, just the emotional agony of a friend betraying him. And that one word, betrayal, because we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been betrayed. And so when that word rings in our ears, it also rings in our hearts with this terrible disappointment and pain, anger, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit reminds us that it was on this night that Jesus was betrayed, that he instituted the Lord's Supper, that he, that he started this incredible tradition for us. It brings to mind his sacrifice, doesn't it? You remember from John chapter 11 where Jesus uh, washes the disciples' feet. Do you know who else was in the audience getting their feet washed that evening? Judas was, wasn't he? Jesus, Jesus, creator of the world, knelt down in front of his betrayer, knowing that he was going to be the one who betrayed him and washed his feet as an act of service to the one who was going to betray him later. We're reminded as we think through the Lord's Supper that this cost God an incredible unthinkable amount this betrayal this sacrifice the Lord's Supper is also a symbol of the new deal God has made between himself and man and that alone should make us stand in awe of him during this time that we've been given we've been afforded an opportunity here let's look down deep inside of ourselves as we sing, as we think through the ramifications of the observance that we're about to go through, use that opportunity, use that time, use these songs, use scripture to remind yourself of what you've been given because it's not every day God makes a new deal with people, is it? He's only done it twice. 
He did it once in the Mosaic Law. He's done it again through the power of Jesus' grace. That deal, that covenant has been offered to us. This memorial is the opportunity we have to review in our minds, to make sure that our hearts are in the right place. So before we do anything else, as we come to worship every single Sunday and as we take the Lord's Supper every single Sunday, these are the thoughts that should be running through our minds. We need to be reviewing our own motivations, reviewing our own hearts, making sure that we're not falling under the same condemnation that the Corinthian congregation here is. They could have been doing the Lord's Supper in a variety of ways that was incorrect. They've chosen to use it as a status symbol, I believe. But Paul points out through the Holy Spirit that anything that they're doing that isn't looking inward, that isn't taking account of themselves, isn't remembering his sacrifice, that isn't looking forward to the future, anything other than those things is not an appropriate use of our time together. Today we've been gathered together for an incredibly specific, incredibly special thing to be reminded of his death, his burial, and his resurrection and to celebrate that. So as we sing these songs, look down deep inside of yourself and make sure that you're thinking through all the ramifications of this opportunity that we've been given.
next song? It's number 916. 916. Come share the Lord. We gather here. So we've talked about the look inward. Paul and the Holy Spirit are, are very specific in 1 Corinthians 11 that we need to look inward. But what should we be thinking about as we take the emblems for the Lord's Supper? What should be going through our mind? What should our mind be caught up with? What should our mind be captivated by as we take the emblems of the Lord's Supper? We should be captivated by, I think, at least two things. Grab your Bibles and turn over to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. This is one of my favorite passages to read through as we take the Lord's Supper because it really shows me Jesus. Uh, I love this passage. God is a God for remembering, isn't he? If you go back through and you read the Old Testament, you don't have to read very far before you start running into these feasts that he sets up, there are three of them throughout, uh, throughout the year in Israel where Israel partakes of a feast in order to remember something God has done in the past. He does not want people to forget 
that He is the great Deliverer. And we are prone, how's the song put it, to wandering, aren't we? Our, our hearts are prone to forgetfulness. We're prone to not remembering what He's done for us. And so He is aware of that. And so He has instituted these feasts under the old law that the Israelites were supposed to take time to remember. If you think through the Passover feast, you are familiar, I'm sure, with what they are supposed to remember. On the night that Israel left Egypt, they were slaves, and God said, put blood of a lamb on the doorposts and across the door of your house. And when the death angel sees that blood, he will pass over. That's where they get the word, they'll pass over your house. But if the blood's not there, then... A sacrifice will be required. And you remember the tenth plague, of course, it brought Egypt even farther to its knees. It humbled this great nation of Israel. Every year when the Israelites took Passover, it was to remind them of the mighty thing that God has done in Passover. And so every year they, take, they took it and they were, they were reminded it's so easy for us to forget, isn't it? When they took Pentecost, when, when they observed Pentecost, this is uh, a harvest festival. And so you're reminded that God has provided for you up until this point. This is the, uh, the, 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 the opportunity you have to be reminded that God takes care of you in your harvest, in your food, in, in, in every way applicable Pentecost reminded them that God was present. We need that reminder, don't we? That He's here with us. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus reminds us that I will be with you forever, right? We need that reminder. So did Old Testament Israel. And so Pentecost helped them remember that third and final feast that every Jewish male, every Jewish person had was required to partake of was called Tabernacles. Tabernacles comes toward the end of the year, about September. And it was a, a, a um, reminder of the provision God had given them during the wilderness wanderings. And so they would build this little tabernacle. That's why it's called Tabernacles. They would build this little shelter. And the shelter they would live in for a week. And it reminded them of the 40 years that their ancestors spent in the wilderness. Now, why on earth would they want reminded of that awful 40 years. Everyone died during that time period, didn't they? But it wasn't because of God's lack of provision, was it? It was because of their hard hearts and their, their disloyalty to God. That's why they were killed. That's why they died. All throughout that 40-year time period, they didn't have any stores. They didn't have any money. They didn't go buy food. How did they get food? How did they get water? God provided these things. Tabernacles, this feast, reminded them as they sat in that in, under, under that shelter for a week, they were reminded that God took care of them then. And so he will what? He will take care of us now. He provides. He's a good father. God is a God of remembering. He wants us to remember. He longs for us to remember. The feasts are not the only things that are built into Israel's culture that we're forcing them to remember. 
Uh, if you remember the story when Joshua crosses the Jordan River on into the promised land with the children of Israel and they're going to take over Canaan. Do you remember what happens when Joshua and the army go through the Jordan River on dry land? Joshua's told to pick up something and he appoints 12 uh, people to pick up these massive stones and they're going to move the stones from inside the Jordan River bed to the other side of the Jordan River. And scripture tells us that when your children see these stones, they're going to ask you what they're about. What's, what's the deal with these massive stones <coughs> that are on the other side of the Jordan River? And you're going to have the opportunity to tell them of the time when God delivered Israel in this most fantastic way, an unimaginable way. Because that ties in the story of doesn't it? And the walls, as the, story, as the song goes, came tumbling down. And that ties in the entire, entire conquest of Canaan in which God stopped the sun and the sky on one occasion. You see God's power, His might, His majesty. And we need reminding of those things. He is a God of remembrance and this supper is a time for us to remember because sometimes we forget. Isaiah chapter 53 helps us remember. If you've got your text open there, let's look in verse 1. Isaiah 53, 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Who's he talking about? Who's Isaiah talking about 800 years before Jesus is born? He's talking about the creator God who's going to come in human flesh. And he's not even attractive. He doesn't have any majesty. The, he doesn't glow. Remember how Moses came down off the mountain after meeting with Yahweh? His face glued so uh, <laughs> His face glowed so brightly that he had to wear a veil and everyone was terrified of him. Jesus isn't going to do that. He's not even going to be handsome. The creative universe humbled himself to this extent, but it gets worse. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. John and John 1 would say Jesus came to his own and what? His own rejected him. That's exactly what Isaiah is talking about here. He came home and his own people didn't recognize him to the extent that they shunned him and persecuted him and eventually murdered him. That's the thought that should be ringing in our ears every time we take this Lord's Supper, the sacrifice that was given for us. Continue reading in Isaiah. Listen to what he says in verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. He paid the price so that you could have peace with God. He paid your debt. Without him you would still be under condemnation. He had to be punished so that you didn't have to be. That ought to break our heart. He keeps going though. 
and with his wounds we are healed. His wounds healed us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned away every one of us. Remember what Paul says in Romans 6? Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah says the exact same thing. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. How hard is it to do that when you're being unjustly accused? He never even brought his case forward, though he had an innocent record. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And after... And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. He was perfect, but he paid the price for you because he was the only one who could. His wounds were the only one who could make us whole, and he was willing to pay that price. But verse 10 will haunt you the rest of your life. Listen listen to verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Does that not reverberate in your head? It doesn't make sense to me that the Father would take the perfect Son and crush him, punish him, kill him, so that he could come after the rebellious son. And that's the guy you look at every time you see the mirror. It was the father's will to crush the perfect son so that he could come after you. What kind of father does that? Father who has more grace than we have sin. Isn't that incredible? That's the look backward that should be haunting our minds throughout this supper. That's the look backward that we ought to celebrate and remember because we dare not forget it. It's too precious to forget. Let's take the bread. Pray with me. Father, we're grateful for your loving sacrifice for us. We're humbled that Jesus died for us. We're grateful, Father, for the reconciliation that we have found with you inside of, inside of him, Father. We, as we look back across his sacrifice and across your sacrifice uh, for us in him, Father, we pray that our lives can be lined up with him, that we will love you more than anything else, that we will focus on your grace toward us. We're grateful for the sacrifice of his body that is for us, Father. Help us to take this emblem in a way that is worthy of that incredible sacrifice, Father. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
not only do we look backward, we also look forward. Remember we said there's three looks. The look inward, first of all, to make sure that our hearts are in the right place, that our minds are focused on the right things. So what should those right things be? Well, the first thing that we should be doing is looking backward to remember his sacrifice that ought to humble us and bring us to our knees and fill us with awe that he would love us that much. It goes beyond imagination, doesn't it? So we not only look backward, though, we also look forward. Look again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Notice what Paul says in verse 26. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. He says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're saying His death meant something. That it means everything. If you go back and you listen to the Holy Spirit's argument in 1 Corinthians 15, He's going to say that without Jesus' resurrection, nothing means anything. And we, of all people, ought to be the ones who everyone pities because we're living a life He isn't raised. Nothing matters. You're still dead in your sins. You're still being held under condemnation. And the worship and the sacrifices that you're offering to God don't make any sense if He's not been raised. Jesus appeared to 500 witnesses at once after His resurrection. He appeared to His brothers who before then were skeptics, but you see um, your brother raised from the dead and you're able to put your hands in the nail wounds and the spear wound and all of a sudden you become a believer and you leave the skeptic life behind. He did the same thing to Thomas. He did the same thing to the 12 disciples repeatedly to them. (coughs) He does the same thing to the women who show up at the tomb and to a variety of other people. He's alive for 50 days, showing himself to a variety of people, all to validate his resurrection. He is not in that tomb. If you could find the tomb, his bones would not be there because they're they're not. He was there for three days. He was dead. He really died. But on that third day, the Sunday morning, he was not there. Every time we take this Lord's Supper, that's what we're proclaiming. We don't, we don't proclaim very much anymore, do we? We don't, we don't use that word very much, but it's a biblical word, and, and it's what we do. We shout that His death means everything, every time we take the Lord's Supper. Every time I eat these emblems, I'm aligning myself with Him, with His suffering, with His glory, and with His life. This is a weekly thing that we do to remind ourselves of His suffering, but also of where we're headed. Because this life's not it, is it? He's coming back. That's one of the things we're saying. We're proclaiming His death. We're proclaiming that all the promises that He's given us inside of Christ, all those things are true. That this life is not it. That this life is only a training ground for the hereafter and that He's coming back and He's going to reunite us with Himself. He's going to bring us to heaven that there won't be any more pain there. That we get to be in the presence of the one that we've been reconciled back to for eternity. That's what we proclaim every time we take 
the Lord's Supper. And so we don't just look back, we also look forward, but we're reminded every time we look forward that I'm lining myself up with Him. Right next to His standard, I'm trying to live my life for Him. I'm not just eating something out of a cup, I'm proclaiming something. Proclaiming that His death means everything, that it's changed me, that it's transformed who I am, the way I think, and what I do. It means everything. And every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of that. Let's pray. Father, we again are humbled to be able to come into your presence to think these thoughts about the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. We're grateful for the blood that was shed for us, Father, that cleanses us of our sins, that reminds us who we are and whose we are, Father. We're grateful for this opportunity that we've been given today to be reminded of that. We pray that as we take uh, uh, the, the fruit of the vine that we will do so in a manner that's worthy of a sacrifice that's been given on our behalf, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe today your life has not been in line, in step with, with Jesus. Maybe today you've realized that it's far out of step with Him and you're ready to align yourself with Him, to be a part of this body, to remember and to look forward to the things that we've talked about. You need to be baptized into Christ. This washes away your sins and you start life off with a brand new slate like those things had never happened. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning and you just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be. We want you to be everything God wants you to be. And so if you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing.
Please be seated. Good morning, church family. Chris, great lesson, brother. Appreciate you. It's kind of, you know, we always need to be reminded of why we take the Lord's Supper. And, you know, it's always good to be reminded of that because Jenna Picklesimer was baptized at Fort Hill uh, last week. So this would, last week was her first time taking it. And Titus Jones was his first time uh, taking it this morning, the Lord's Supper. And it's how important it is to remember your first time taking that Lord's Supper and what it means and always be reminded of that. But uh, it's been a great uh, couple weeks with Fort Hill. We had 133 go, 30 from Rome uh, go to Fort Hill. Um, and also Friday night we had game night. We had over 20 short for game night. Um, the Ravathans and Naps stayed up until like 10 o'clock playing cards. So that was a lot of fun. It was supposed to end at 8, but we kept playing. So it was a lot of fun. Um, we have another one in August, so I do encourage you to come to that. Um, today is uh, we leave for disaster relief in Waverly, Tennessee at 1 o'clock. We have 15 going to that, uh, so keep us in your prayers as we uh, get there safely and um, we glorify God in the work that we do there. Also, uh, if you have not signed up yet uh, for Kings Island, please do so. Um, we leave July 23rd, uh, Saturday. Tickets are $49.99. You can purchase those online, or you can go to Kroger and pick up your tickets there. Also, as a reminder, the Father and Son Campout uh, is Friday, July 29th at the Leaps Cabin. Uh, please sign up for that if you plan on going to that. Uh, it's so important that uh, Leap, well, let's Leaps know how many people are going um, to be there for that event. If you're interested in going to Peru uh, for a mission trip on June 13th through the 22nd, uh, please see Chris. Updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep Hank Picklesimer's uh, girlfriend in your prayers. Uh, she has cancer, and um, as she undergoes tests and all that, so remember to continue to keep her in your prayers. Remember to continue to keep Jim Haney in your prayers. Uh, remember to pray for Sandy Galloway if she recovers. Also, Jennifer Baker, keep her in your prayers as she undergoes tests. And, and uh, keep uh, Chad Judge, as mom and dad, Janie and Glenn, in your prayers as well. Um, and also keep that family in your prayers as well this time. And also remember to continue to keep Vicki Bowen in your prayers as she recovers um, uh, as well. And uh, keep John and Pat Kelly in your prayers as well as they um, have covid and they're recovering at home on quarantine. So uh, remember to keep them in your prayers as well. That's all the announcements I have. Looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 6 o'clock. We'll sing one more song be dismissed in prayer. If you would, let's stand. We'll sing our final song. It's on the overhead only. It's the greatest commands. It goes alto, bass, tenor, and soprano.
Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the many blessings you've given us, Father, the, the amazing miracle that is the world that you've created for us to inhabit, Father, the, the people you brought into our lives for us to interact with, Father, and hopefully uh, encourage and bring, bring to you and bring into, show them your love through our actions. Lord, we pray, we thank you for the, the congregation here at Rome that edifies each of us, Father, that they may build us, uh, build us up and, and encourage us as we go into the world each week and show the world your love again. Lord, be with us as we depart from here. Watch over us in all that we do, Father. We pray that you be with those that were unable to make it today, Father, those that were, are sick and, uh, and hurt, Father, that you may, may show your, your healing love to them. Father, watch over us in all that we do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.